0: Welcome into the Flat Rock Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Christian Hunt, and we've got a great show lined up for you today. On today's episode, we're gonna be discussing Steve Sarkeesian and is he in over his head at Texas. Now, before we get into the show, guys, be sure to like, comment, and subscribe as it goes a long way in helping us put future content out for you. With all that out of the way, let's get into it. Welcome to the Flat Rock Sports Podcast, your daily source for all things college football. And now your host, Christian Hunt. Like I said at the top of the broadcast, on today's episode, we're going to be checking out Steve Sarkeesian and whether or not he's in over his skis at Texas. Now, when I originally got the idea to do this episode, it was back when I was doing research into Arch Manning and whether or not he was overrated or not. Now, you can go check that out for yourself. As we did a pretty in-depth dive and what we concluded with it, right? But let's take a look back for just a second at Steve Sarkeesian and his record and where he's been to this point. Now, overall, Steve Sarkeesian boasts a 51 and 42 record as a head coach. Right? He's been to four bowl games and he's two and two in both of those bowl games. Now, when we take a look at this, right, he went Ironically, five and seven, his first year at Washington, University of Washington out there in the Pac-12 to be exact with you. Does that sound familiar? Because that's the first, sorry, that's the same record he had while last year at Texas. Now, what happened after that five and seven year? Well, he went seven and six over the next three years and he earned the nickname Seven Win Steve, right? As a Longhorns fan, that has to kind of scare you a little bit, but probably not as much as what's gonna scare you as we get further into his backstory here. There was a quarterback that he had throughout all of this. Probably the best quarterback that Steve Sarkeesian uh, coached in his earlier years was a quarterback by the name of Jake Locker. Jake Locker ended up being a top five quarterback prospect out of high school and was a first round draft pick by the Tennessee Titans, okay, back in the day. Now, their best season with Jake Locker, they went 7 and 6. Okay. Then he got drafted, and ironically his best year came the following year. They went 8 and 4 in his last year at Washington. Now, ultimately, there was a lot of speculation at that time as to whether or not he was going to stay at Washington. And coach the huskies and finish what he started but he ultimately uh, jumped ship and went to usc he took the job at usc and he ended up going 12 and 6 before getting let go because he ended up showing up drunk hey you know to each their own right now what happened when he was at usc in his first year there i believe they went nine and three the next year he ended up going i believe it was 3 and 3 before ultimately getting let go for that so it was midway through the season he ended up taking some time off and then he ended up going to bama in 2016 uh, where he took the offensive coordinator job for one game now he didn't take the job for one game he came in as an off-field analyst and did that for a little bit and then lane kiffin who was their offensive coordinator ended up departing uh, for florida atlantic And then Steve Sarkeesian ended up taking over the job when Alabama played Clemson in the championship game. The one game he did play or sorry, the one game he coached, should I say, he ended up actually losing for them right now. that was a great game. It was a very back and forth game against Clemson, but, Again, that is worth noting. So he takes over and it's not an easy thing, right? I'm not going to sit here and act like you're an off, you know, off-field analyst and then they promote you up to an offensive coordinator role for a game. You know, you've got one game to go out and improve yourself. So it is sort of worth noting there, right? Now, what happened with this? Well, after this game, a few months later, he took the job and became the Falcons offensive coordinator. He came in and he was replacing a guy that got a head coaching job out in San Francisco by the name of Kyle Shanahan, right? He's still their coach over there. He's been to a couple of Super, well, he's been to one Super Bowl, right? But this isn't about him. So that year, the Falcons offense actually was the number one offense uh, in scoring in the NFL. They led the NFL, by the way, with 33 points a game. And what happened after uh, Stark took over there? Well, they actually regressed and they were very middle middle of the pack you know not much changed in that offense except for the offensive coordinator and they went from leading the nfl with 33 points a game to 22 points a game right so it's worth noting there okay the the team regressed a little bit there and wasn't really that good he got fired after one year with the falcons Comes back to Bama in 2019, and he coached Tua and Mac Jones, right, as the offensive coordinator there. Now, a lot of people can make the argument, hey, Tua, Mac Jones, whatever have you, I could probably go out and be the offensive coordinator for Alabama in a lot of these situations, right? Because you have to look at who Alabama had at quarterback and and the offenses that they've had. I mean, just about everybody on these offenses was getting drafted, and a lot of the quarterbacks went in the first round, right? They had at one given point, they had Jalen Hurts, they had Tua Tungabailoa, then they had Mac Jones, right? And then Mac Jones gave way to Bryce Young, who won the Heisman last year. So Alabama, the offense there, it doesn't take a whole heck of a lot <laughs> to to succeed and be successful as the offensive coordinator at Alabama. When you have majority of the teams that you're playing, you're way better than them. Even the even the top tier teams, the Georgias, the Oklahomas, the Ohio States, the Clemsons, right? Where, you know, maybe they have a couple of five star athletes, and a majority of your team is five, you know, four and five star guys, right? That are very highly rated. Now, let's take a look at that, right? He parlayed that success from those two quarterbacks that I had mentioned. He parlayed that into a job opportunity. To go become the head man over in Austin and the Texas Longhorns, right? His first year, I mentioned this at the top of the broadcast his first year, he went five and seven at Texas. He had losses to Arkansas, Kansas, Iowa State, West Virginia, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Baylor. Now, a couple of those teams, pretty good, right? You know, you've got Arkansas did pretty well last year in the SEC under Sam Pittman. You've got Oklahoma, you know, they did all right last year, but they, you know, they did okay, right? Oklahoma fans will probably argue they underperformed with what they had in Spencer Rattler, Caleb Williams, and uh, head coach Lincoln Riley. Oklahoma State and Baylor ended up playing for the Big 12 championship, and you could go back and forth as to which you felt was the better team last year between the two. Now, I really wanted to dig deep into this. I wanted to look and see what was their offense and what was their problem last year, you know, between offense and defense. So let's take a look at it real quick. Texas's total offensive rank last year. They were number 47 in total offense in the country. They had the 72nd best passing offense last year. They had the 26th rushing offense in the country. And they gave up 26 sacks last year, which was middle of the pack for college football. If you literally look at it, they were right smack dab in the middle for sacks allowed. On defense, they ranked number 100 in the nation for total team defense. They were the number 114th rushing defense in the country. They ranked number 62 in passing yards allowed. And they were 91st in the country in red zone defense what do i why do i say all this right that's the big question what does this all mean well i think a large portion of this large portion of this plays into they have talent right they they have the talent but they need to be able to execute and they need to be able to be in better situations again you know we've talked about this right texas is getting ready to move over to the sec but more importantly Oklahoma's going with them and look at who Oklahoma hired as their coach. They hired a defensive minded individual and in Brent Venables. He's getting his first shot at being a coach at this level. And he's going to try to build this. I think like a traditional sec team would be built, right? He's going to build it. Like he's going to build it. Like Saban built Bama. He's going to try to build it. Like Kirby smart built Georgia, right? I mean, think, think about this. This is the question that I sort of want to pose to you here. When you look at the offensive geniuses in college football, right? The Lincoln Rileys, the uh, Steve Sarkeesian's of the world, if you will, right? The Cliff Kingsbury's, right? What does that success look like? You know, what, what does that success really look like for you? We're going to have an overpowering offense if we can get the right pieces in there but our defense is also going to give up a 60 burger to LSU in the championship game. You got to be what more balanced than that. If you want to win a championship, you got to have an offense that's inside of the top 30 in total offense, but you got to have a, you got to have one side of the ball, right? You got to have one side of the ball, whether it be offense, whether it be defense, whatever have you, that you can parlay into a top 10 unit. If you have any shot at competing, whether, you know, again, to me, when you look at how loaded the SEC is getting ready to be, Arkansas is going to be a good team. Old Miss seems to be a very good team. Texas A&M is coming off signing a, a great recruiting class, and they have a great coach in Jembo Fisher. You've got Alabama. They still have Nick Saban. And even if they don't do that well recruiting this year, they're sure to grab some people in the transfer portal. Georgia's still a threat. Tennessee's on the rise. South Carolina looks like they're putting together a good team. Right? My point with all this is you have a ton, a ton of great talent in the SEC, as well as a ton of great teams and a ton of great coaching out there. I say all this simply put to say that if Steve Sarkeesian wants to be great, which is how they're going to measure him, right? When you take a high profile job like Texas, they expect you, they expect to get to the playoffs. They expect to start winning championships, right? And sometimes in life we're, you know, we're kind of screwed up by our own successes, right? If if I do a really good job and I go out and I make six figures, right? I don't want to go take a job making 40 grand a year or 50 grand a year, right? I'm not I don't want to take that pay cut. What's well, the same thing in college football, right? If I'm used to being a blue blood program, right? A blue blood program, I don't want to go settle for a rebuilding year or a rebuilding decade, right? I'm going to be consistently looking for how to get back on top. And that's what, that's, what's happening in Texas right now is they want to figure out a way, how do I see that success that we saw with Mac Brown and Colt McCoy and some of these other players, right? How do we get back to those years where we were running the big 12, Oklahoma wasn't even a thought in our mind for a little while, right? Well, it's not going to get any easier, right? You're, you're moving to the SEC, Oklahoma, apparently right now, I would say looks to be in a better situation just from a coaching standpoint. And some of the things they have, I think they have the better coaching staff in Oklahoma. I think they're going to be more set up while it doesn't necessarily look like they have all the talent that Texas has. I think they're more set up to be a better ran team going into the SEC, I think, again, you're getting ready to get into an SEC that's going to have a lot of great coaches and it's going to have a lot of uh, talent, right? A lot of the teams you're going to be playing are going to be on par with you. You know, you're not going to be playing the Baylors or the Oklahoma States or the Kansases anymore. That's going to be replaced by Auburn, uh, South Carolina, you know, whoever have you, right? Even Florida, right? Florida is a, a team that they're going to be a national brand, and Billy Napier, what he's trying to do there, he's going to try to do everything he can to get them relevant again. Let's kind of look ahead a little bit. Now, I, I talked about this in another podcast episode earlier on, you know, about Arch Manning. But one of the things I really want to say here is, you know, S- Steve Sarkeesian, Sark as we like to call him around here, his fate is tied to talented, unproven quarterbacks, Right. He's got Quinn Ewers this year. He's going to have to figure out a way to get Quinn Ewers more involved right, with this offense. And, and you're talking about a guy that is yet to throw a pass in college, yet he's already made millions of dollars. He's out here driving around in a, a Lamborghini SUV, and he's a very high-profile kid, right? Just like Arch Manning, who's going to be coming up, but he's yet to prove himself in this league. And that's going to be really interesting to see can he get can he tap into that potential now next up on the list here you've got malik murphy right malik murphy was a very talented quarterback and we've talked about him you know in the, in the arch manning episode we broke where he broke down uh, his commitment to texas now malik murphy's a good quarterback in his own right but i feel like with all this competition that's there i don't see any way malik murphy stays at texas i think he's there this year he red shirts he gets bigger stronger and faster he sees how the rest of college football plays out this year and then he puts himself in a good uh, position to succeed going forward you've got hudson card right hudson card you know he had a bowl game you know a couple years ago right where they played and i think they played in uh, san antonio and he proved himself in that game and then he struggled to get the job this year and lost it in the second game of the year to arkansas and never really got any momentum back after that. And then lastly, you've got Arch Manning. You've got a kid that is a talented individual, but I think he's a little overhyped and everything that comes with that, right? I think this all points towards a lose-lose situation for Steve Sarkeesian. You know, I said this again in the other podcast, but I'll bring this up again, right? If Arch Manning gets to campus, you know, he's fine, you know, Quinn Ewers and them, they can struggle. They can win three games this year, right? Now they're going to, the Texas fan base is going to be pissed, but they also understand, hey, we have to keep Sarkisian here because we're getting a high profile recruiting class coming in, in 2024. So we have to keep him here. If for whatever reason, Arch Manning gets to campus and he red shirts and they continue to struggle, That's not a good recipe. If he gets to campus and he plays early on and he struggles for a couple of years, that's not a good recipe. If he gets to campus, he plays early on, they do okay, but they don't compete for an SEC championship. They're not competing for uh, for the playoffs, whatever have you. That's not okay. And you have to think, okay, what happens? What's the best case scenario? The kid comes in, he's very high profile. He does pretty good. Maybe, they make it to like one SEC championship game. They never get past that. He dips after three years or he transfers, God forbid, and they don't perform with the talent they have. Again, it's hard to keep a guy like that, right? You go back and you look at the record and you look at some of the stuff that's happened early on in his career. It becomes very hard to keep a guy like that around when the best season he's had arguably was in a very weak pack 12 and they were nine and three it becomes very hard to keep a guy around when they have generational talent after generational talent behind center in a loaded alabama right i'm just saying right it becomes very difficult to keep a guy that with a first round quarterback again in the same pac 12 we were talking about that went seven and six Those are just the little things that Texas fans are going to start going back and they're going to start remembering, hey, is this the guy to lead the program or is this just another highfalutin offensive guy, right? It's like the the office skit, you know, snip, snap, snip, snap, right? It's we keep going from defensive guy to offensive guy, from offensive guy to defensive guy, right? Well, the thing is, you know, you're Texas throw all the money at whoever you want. I remember there was rumors back in the day that Nick Saban may jump ship from Alabama and go to Texas, right? And there's the reason why those rumors were getting floated around, I think it was somebody in Saban's camp that were kind of letting it out. Why? Because, well, he could use that to leverage and stay at Bama and make even more money, right? That's just a smart business decision to do because, look, at the end of the day, if Texas can't get you, nobody can get you because that means Texas is throwing the most money out there. That's why we see them winning and them and m are winning right now because they're using oil money, right? Whatever have you. To, to go out and get recruiting, right? And, and good for them. Again, as I've said, the expectation here has got to be more than nine and three. Sarkeesian has got, and I mean, he has got to put together at least 10 win seasons and more. He's got to be competing to win the Big 12 slash SEC when they make this move. At the time's now. You get a couple years into the SEC and you start getting further and further away from Bama or Georgia, it's going to be very difficult. But it's going to be interesting, to say the least, to see what happens going forward. Flat Rock Sports presents Crutin' Talk. We've got another great segment of Crutin' Talk to cover today, so let's get after it. All right, first up on the list, we have Cincinnati. They're actually going to sign the number 36 wide receiver in the country and Malik Elzey. He's the number 291 player in the class. That's actually going to jump Cincinnati up to the number 14 class overall. And let's just take just a second because Luke Fickle is doing such a great job at continuing the success that we're seeing right there that Cincinnati's had over the years. I mean, look, you know, getting Desmond Ritter, Jacoby Ford, uh, we're talking Sauce Gardner, some of these guys that they've had. I mean, Luke Fickle is doing a great job at a smaller tier program to keep them consistent. All right, next up on the list, we've got Washington as they signed the number 20 cornerback in the class in Curly Reed. Now, he's the number 155 player in the country and this actually helps get, uh, you know, Washington up to the number 21 class this year. Now that's interesting because they've got a first year coach in Kalen Dabor, who is doing a fantastic job over there. He's a great coach. And like I said, he's looking to steady that ship uh, for Washington and the uncertainty that is the Pac-12. And last up on the list, we have Kentucky. Now, Kentucky actually just signed the number uh, 51 wide receiver in the country as they pick up Anthony Brown. Now, Anthony Brown's an interesting player, right? He's number 400 in the class. And Kentucky itself, they're sitting right at about 47 right now as the time of this recording. So it's interesting to see what Mark Stoops can do to continue to be steady inside of the sec like he always is you know mark stoops he's one of those coaches he always gets the best out of the talent that he's got he may not always have the number one recruiting class but man he does a great job of steadying that ship down there in kentucky as far as the rest of the recruiting rankings nothing has changed from yesterday so it'll be interesting to keep an eye on that going forward flat rock sports presents hunt's hot seat all right guys we got a great segment of Hunt's hot seat for you today. On today's episode, here's what we're gonna be checking out. We're gonna be looking at Stanford coach, David Shaw. Now, when you think about success in college football, you go back to the early uh, 2010 era, right? David Shaw was one of the most successful coaches back then, right? Now, here's what we're looking at. It's kind of a double-edged sword with David Shaw, right? He's sort of a victim of his own success. I mean, you have a lot of success very early on as a coach, and then it starts kind of backsliding as of here uh, recently, right? Now, part of that success was because he had players to coach such as Andrew Luck, Christian McCaffrey, just to name a few, right? A couple of, you know, first round NFL draft picks there, right? Now, his best season was in 2012, right? He won the Rose Bowl and the Pac-12 in that year, right? Now, also, interestingly enough, they he's won the Pac-12 three times, so... That's pretty good, right? I mean, he's been a good coach for him. Speaking of winning the Pac-12 three times, okay, he has an overall record of 93 and 45. But here's where it starts to get a little worrisome for Stanford fans, right? Since 2019, David Shaw has failed to win at least four games. He's not won more than four games since 2019. Last year, they went three and nine. So it's just a little interesting to see how they're starting to sort of backslide in this right part of that is due to recruiting right right now they're currently ranked the number 51 team in recruiting for this cycle and over the last three years shaw has actually averaged about the 28th uh, best recruiting class in the country right so he's top 30 so you know what what gives if he's top 30 what gives well like a lot of these teams that we break down that were once relevant once good you gotta get a little bit better as far as the talent goes. And you gotta gotta keep up with what's going on in college football. You have to do a fantastic job at developing that talent. Now, when we look at this a little further and we look at Stanford's program history, they've actually won two national championships and they actually have one Heisman winner, right? They've had players come through the doors such as Jim Plunkett, John Elway, They have Toby Gerhardt. They also have Richard Sherman, right? They've got some guys, they got some dogs that come through that program, right? some all-time greats. So how do you get them back on track? Like if I'm Stanford, I'm a Stanford fan, how do I get my team back on track? Well, here's what I would do. There's a guy sitting out there, probably not doing a whole lot right now, right? And his name is Andrew Luck. I'm gonna call Andrew Luck, right? And I'm gonna say, hey, look, come on down, be our offensive coordinator, help run this thing and let's get going, you know. You bring in a guy like Andrew Luck, here's what's going to happen. Your program is going to have a big name face, you know, that played in the NFL, has all the experience, right? Played at Stanford, and that's going to help you out in recruiting, right? You're going to probably be able to land one of these highly touted California quarterbacks, right, to come and play for him. You know, that's going to help you go a long way at getting better. Now, here's the thing, right? The other thing you can do if you're a Stanford fan right now is you can look to sort of jump to another conference maybe, right? If you jump over to another conference, that may boost a little bit of interest in the program. You may start getting some more of these prized recruits, right? And it may help you out there, right? I think Shaw does a good job at trying to manage the talent he has, but he just needs to do a little bit better, right, as far as that goes. And maybe he just needs to get a little more talent. So that could be the other side here here's what I'm going to rate him at. Okay. On a scale of 10, I'm going to put him on the hot seat right now at nine, because again, he had those very early successful years. Right. And it seems like the further we keep getting away from the early 2010s, the worse it is. Right. So again, it's really hard to keep a guy when his best years are sort of behind him and we're getting further and further away. You know, also there's a ton of top up and coming coaches coming out, right? You know, you've got Jeff Levy, you've got, Bill O'Brien over at Alabama, you know, you have Todd Munkin at Georgia, you have so many coaches that could probably come in and maybe get a little more juice to the program, right? So it's really tough to kind of stave those guys off. Now, here's the other thing that makes this really difficult to get into Stanford. I mean, Stanford is one of those universities that is a very highly regarded academic institution. Now, the downside to that is, I mean, it's like trying to get into Vanderbilt, maybe not Harvard, but you know, an Ivy League school, right? There's a lot of really tough restrictions that are gonna probably turn off a lot of recruits and really limit who you can and can't recruit. Here's the other thing that makes this really difficult for David Shaw. Most of these schools right now that you're seeing, especially in the Pac-12, which they play in, they're actually looking to sort of jump out and jump over into a new conference, right? When you're jumping over and you look at a lot of these schools that are jumping conferences, you know, they're bringing in first, second year coaches. I mean, they wanna pretty much get them in, get them some experience, get a couple of recruiting classes in, jump over to the new conference or whatever have you, and let's see what happens, right? Think of it this way. The schools that are realigning right now, the Texas, Oklahoma, USC and UCLA, three of those four teams are breaking in first or second year coaches, right? I mean, even Chip Kelly, I think he's only been at UCLA for about three years now, right? So it's really interesting to see how that's going to sort of shake out. Now, if you were to bring in somebody like Andrew Luck and David Shaw and the team continue to struggle, well, then maybe we're looking at bumping Luck up, you know, and trying to jump conferences, whatever have you, right? But here's the interesting part of it, right? He's actually got You know, he's got right now, he's got some time because he's got some time. He has got to get a hold of this with USC and UCLA moving and nobody knows what's going to happen to the uh, Pac-12. He may have a shot to stay there and keep them relevant and keep riding the ship, right? But the only thing is, is he's still got time. He's just got to hope that that time doesn't run out on him. Speaking of time running out, that's actually going to conclude this episode of the Flat Rock Sports Podcast, your source for daily college football. As always, I'm your host, Christian Hunt, and we'll catch you next time.